morning. Good morning. It is good to be back at church. I'm uh, like Donna said, you miss you miss a service or two and uh, makes you feel like you ain't been here in a year. I appreciate y'all's prayers while Missy and I were sick. I'm not contagious. So just to get that out of the way. However, the more I talk, the less voice I have. So y'all be patient with me. Uh, while I try and teach this morning. We'll be in 1 John. We wrapped up the second chapter of 1 John uh, last time last time that I stood. And if y'all recall, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, second chapter of John, really, the entire chapter uh, is about abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us through the Holy Spirit. And uh, talked about the unction, and talked about the anointing, and, uh, and that 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 common anointing that we all have is the Holy Spirit. That common anointing is Jesus Christ. It's God's presence in our lives. We may we may have some different gifts of God, and we talked about that going through the second chapter of First John. Uh, you know, you may have a gift that I don't have, and I may have one that you don't have, but something that we do all have in common is the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is the presence of Christ in our lives, the presence of God Almighty in our lives. Remember that uh, I believe we talked about going through the second chapter of 1 John, that uh, God's whole thing, his whole, uh, whole desire was the tabernacle with his people in the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. Remember, he had them, uh, he had the Israelites build the tabernacle and carry it around with them. And of course, we know of the pillar by fire and the pillar of cloud and God's presence with them. He wanted to be with his people. And praise God, it's no different in the New Testament. He wants to be with his people and he abides in his people and we uh, abide in him. It's a, it's a twofold thing, so... Uh, that's a real quick recap of the second chapter of 1 John. <coughs> so we'll begin the third chapter of 1 John. Hopefully we'll be able to get through the first few verses anyway this morning. Uh, but uh, 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So John here writes, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. He says, Look, look and see what manner of love. Not, he, doesn't say, uh, he doesn't say look and see at the love that God has bestowed on us. He says what manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And so John here is saying, uh, look, look at this manner of love. It's not just love. I mean, it's one thing that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Yes. And, and that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. That's a glorious thing. And that's, that's scripture. And that's biblical. And I praise God for that. But not only did Jesus come into this world to save us, but because we, we are saved. We become children of God. We become sons and daughters of God. God could have saved us 
and you know had a completely different plan just said okay i'll save you and you can live the rest of your days here on earth and go somewhere else that's pleasant and nice uh, for the rest of eternity uh, but no we are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe we're adopted in we're grafted in uh, as sons and daughters and therefore we're treated no differently and this is the manner of love that John is emphasizing on here he says behold what manner of love what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us this word bestowed this is something that's that's given uh, without any type of reciprocation uh, on the receive on the receivers in grace and salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ and redemption and forgiveness of sin these are free gifts of God now when we get saved uh, there there is works that we will do according to the scripture <clears throat> there are works uh, uh, works that we'll do we will glorify God with our lives one way or another we'll use the gifts that God gives us uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, to glorify him but that is not reciprocating work that is not us paying God back for saving our souls that's just something that saved people do that's the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives we can never pay back God back for saving us we could never uh, we could never repay him for that we could spend our entire lives and all of eternity trying to and it would never uh, it would never uh, settle any kind of uh, debt that we feel like we have to God we might feel like we have one for him saving us but folks that's not the case it's a gift it is a free gift of God that he saved our souls. Jesus Christ came into this uh, world. We just got through celebrating Christmas, and he was born in this world, and I praise God for that. And he lived his life, and he ministered, and he preached, and he taught, and he healed, and he done all these wonderful things. And then he climbed up Golgotha's hill, and he suffered a death for us. And then and he was buried, and he was resurrected three days later. And he spent some time showing himself to the disciples and others. And then he ascended to the Father. And all these things are all great and wonderful and fine and well. But he makes intercession now. This is his life now. Presently, he makes intercession on behalf of those that have repented Amen. and believed the gospel of right. Jesus Christ. So every, every Christmas, I, I, I thank God for the birth of his son because without the birth, there would have been no life. Without the life, there would have been no death. Without the death, there would have been no forgiveness of sin. But I praise God for the intercession that I have with, the, with him through Jesus Christ. But uh, the, manner, the manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us is that we should be called the sons of God. We're children of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. He gives us, uh, again, he gives us a what? And he gives us a why. The world knoweth us not. But you remember, Christian, and I need to remember this myself. When the world comes against us, when the world makes fun of us, and when the world uh, belittles us, it ain't because of me. It ain't because I'm something special. It ain't because of anything that I've done. It's because of whom I'm associated with. Yeah. It's because I'm associated with Jesus Christ. It's because I am a son of God. Yeah. That's why the world comes against me. And that's why the world doesn't, doesn't really know me. 
Now, there's a plenty of lost people out there that can say, I know Spencer Baumgartner. I know who he is. I know that he works such and such, and I know that he's uh, went to Sullivan East High School, and I know his kids and wife and all these other things. There's plenty of people that can say that, but the world truly does not know me. Why is that? Well, one, because the Bible says the world doesn't know me. That's the main reason. But why don't they know me? Because I'm associated with God. I'm associated with Jesus Christ. They're not associated with him. They look, uh, if they look on me, I hope that they see Jesus Christ. I hope that they see, uh, see him. I hope that they see my creator. I hope that they see the light of Jesus Christ shining off of me. But still yet, the Bible plainly states that, that the world does not know me because it never knew him. You remember the world's the very ones that had Jesus crucified. The world's the very ones that was standing out there saying crucify him. And we might point our finger at the Jews and say, well, the Jews were the main ones doing it. Yes, there were, but I promise you there were some Gentiles out there in that congregation as well screaming for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Jews are the ones that wanted him crucified. The Gentiles are the ones that followed through with it. The world are the ones that wanted Christ crucified. Therefore, and but they they don't know me because they never knew Jesus Christ, and they don't know Jesus Christ. Verse two, <coughs> beloved, now are we the now are we the sons of God? We'll stop right there. This is a wonderful statement that John makes. Amen. He says, beloved, now are we the sons of God? There's some people that say that. That salvation doesn't truly take place and eternal life doesn't truly take place until, until we're dead and gone physically in this body. John says, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. Jesus Christ said himself, he that believeth in me hath everlasting life. Everlasting life begins at the moment of salvation. I believe I've been over that before while teaching up here. But we're, we're the sons of God now. We're the children of God now. We don't have to wait on death. And we don't have to wait on salvation in a, in a, uh, in a piecemeal fashion. And some, some doctrines will teach that. Some false religions will teach that. That you're saved a little bit here and you're saved a little bit there until salvation finally comes full circle and you're completely saved, folks. That ain't what the Bible says. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It happens then. I don't have to wait on salvation. Now am I a son of God. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So John here uh, states, now are we the sons of God. But we still don't know what, we're, what we shall be. We're, he's stating what we are presently. And I'm sure there were some folks then just as there are now. That, that wonder, and John gets into that in the, in the next few verses that we'll see here. There's people, uh, I'm sure John was dealing with people just as uh, I've heard people talk about now, just like I've struggled with myself. Well, why do I have these thoughts? Why do sometimes I do these actions? Why sometimes do I say the things that I do? Why sometimes do I think the, the, the way that I do if I am indeed a son of the Most High God? 
And John says, now are we the sons of God? It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John says, we are presently the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, that's future tense, presently we're the sons of God, and we're the daughters of God if we're saved. When he shall appear in the future, Folks, and that shall appear. That's whether we go to him or he comes to us and takes us out of here. But when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, as he is presently. We shall see him future tense as he presently is. How is Jesus presently? Well, turn to the first chapter of Revelation. You'll see how John saw Jesus in heaven. In heaven, Jesus wore a long robe. He had eyes of fire. His feet were like bronze. I mean, all kinds of different descriptions in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. That's how Jesus is right now. He's no longer a baby in a manger. And he's no longer a, 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 a meek and lowly homeless man that's walking around on this earth ministering to others. And he's certainly no longer in the tomb, praise God. He resurrected and he has ascended to the Father. And now he lives to make intercession for you and I right now, us who are the sons and daughters of God, us who are born again, us who have repented and believed the gospel. And this is the Jesus that we serve. And that is how that he is now, presently. We shall see him sometime in the future. I've never seen Jesus Christ with my physical eyes, and you haven't either. None of us have, but we shall see him as he is in the future. Just like Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, you know, now we, we, we see through a glass dimly. We see it dimly. I mean, folks... Back back in the Bible days, they didn't have they didn't have glass mirrors like we do now. They had polished metal that they looked at their reflection, and it was very distorted and it was very blurred. He said, "We we we look and we see it dimly." He says, "One of these days, I'm going to see it just as clear as a bell. I'm going to see it just as clear as can be, and we shall see Jesus just as clear clearly as we can one of these days after a while, but not right now." Not right now, not in, this, not in this life. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Every man that hath what hope? Well, one, that we're the sons of God, in verse 2. Another is that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that hath this hope, in verse 3, in him purifieth Himself, and a lot of people don't like this verse. Why? Because it puts something in our lap. Like it or not, it does. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Now, folks, when we're saved, God's done the purifying. God's done the redeeming. God's done the cleaning through the blood of Jesus Christ. But every man that hath this hope, hath this hope that we shall see Jesus as he is. He purifieth himself. Why is that? Once again, if you go to the first chapter of Revelation and you read the description of Jesus Christ there, and that's not the only description given in Revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, John also saw him as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
There's, there are several descriptions of Jesus Christ within the pages of Revelation. But if you turn, turn to that first chapter, that will make us want, as sons and daughters of God, that will make us want to live pure lives, want to live holy lives. Not, not necessarily because we're afraid of chastisement of God, but because this is the God that we serve. And, this, and God is shaping us and molding us into the image of his son. It's a slow process down here on this earth. I mean, we, we, don't, just, uh, we don't just take, a, take an image of Jesus Christ as soon as we get saved. It is a constant process process sanctification is a constant process and god is doing that everyone that gets saved god sanctifies them throughout the course of their life and one of these days that that sanctifying uh, 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 will end to an extent because we will have perfect bodies and we will be in a perfect place with a perfect God and with a perfect Savior that saved our soul. Amen. But we are still sanctified at that point for the service of God and for the worship of God and, and for the things of God. But every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. This he being Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, even as he is pure, even as Christ is pure. Verse 4, <coughs> Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth, sinneth hath not seen him, neither, uh, neither known him. Back to verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So once again, he gives us a what and he gives us a why. Whosoever sins has transgressed the law. And, and he gives the, the why, for sin is the transgression of the law. Any sin, that, any sin that we commit, have committed, or will commit in the future, that is a transgression of the law. What law? God's moral law. God's perfect law. The laws that God spoke in, in the Old Testament uh, apply just as much now as they, as they did back then. And uh, this, this was a moral code that God gave, not for the purpose of salvation, we couldn't follow the law and be saved. The only way that sins are admitted is through the shedding of blood. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. They're not remitted by the, by the following of the law. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Because of the end of that verse, because in him is no sin, this is why he is able to, to take away our sins. This is why when he was manifested and when his blood was shed, because he was pure and because he was perfect and because he was God and could commit no sin, this is why he was able to take away our sin. But this verse here says he was manifested to take away our sin. Keep that, I mean, dwell on that for just a moment. He was manifested. He came here for the sole purpose of taking away our sins. 
of taking it away, casting it as far as the east is from the west, throwing it into a sea of forgetfulness, washing it away in his own blood. This was the very purpose and the very reason that Jesus Christ was manifested and came here to begin with, was to take away the sins of the world, just as John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming down the riverbank, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is the reason that Jesus Christ was manifest. Yes, he, he ministered while he was here. Yes, he performed miracles. And yes, he healed the blind and opened deaf ears and healed lepers and all kinds of good stuff like that. But the sole reason that he came was to take away sin, was to wash away our sin. You know, he was manifest to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. This is a highly debated passage in Scripture here, a verse in Scripture. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Does that mean every time that I sin? Because, folks, now, even though I'm a born-again child of God and I'm on my way to heaven thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ, I still sin, and you do too. John made it clear in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. He said, if we say, we, including himself, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We have sin as born-again believers. There are people out there that will preach and teach that this very verse right here, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, because the entire the entirety of chapter 2 is about abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. They'll say, if we're, if we're born again, we do not sin ever again. Folks, we do not achieve sinless perfection in this life. It is an impossibility for us to do that. The very flesh that you wear right now is sinful. The blood that you have in your body is sinful. Your muscles, your bones, everything about you is sinful. Your makeup is sinful. You are sinful. I am sinful. We're not sinful because of what we do. We're sinful because of who we are. We're wretched sinners. That's all we are. And God manifests in Jesus Christ to come here to take away that sin. I think that's what John's wanting us to concentrate on. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. What John is talking about here is not what some people refer to as our oopsies, our mistakes. Folks, they're sins. They're sins. And we would do well as, as the church of the living God, we would do well to recognize those mistakes and those oopsies and those stumblings, to recognize them for what they are. They are sin. And whosoever sinneth, we just read it, transgresseth the law. We've transgressed against God. And it does us well to recognize that as sin in our own lives, that we can repent of that sin, that we can go to God and we can ask forgiveness of that sin. We, and folks, we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He says, we have an advocate with the Father. He says, I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. In Jesus Christ, why wouldn't we go to him? But... We have to recognize sin for what it is. We have to recognize our own transgressions <clears throat> for what they are. They are an offense to the God that saved your soul. 
But God is forgiving, and God is merciful, and God is long-suffering, God is patient, God is kind. Every one of those words you can read about charity or love in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, those are attributes of Almighty God. And he is all those things and so much more. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. What John is talking about here is the difference between a saved person who does their best not to sin, although we do, although we will, and it's going to happen in all of our lives, and someone who lives a constant life in sin. Read it again. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath, hath not seen him, neither uh, known him. Whosoever sinneth. That sinneth is, is, is present perfect tense. Whoever continues in sin. Whoever lives a life of perpetual sin. It's non-ceasing. The same way that you lived before you were saved. And the same way that I lived before I was saved. I woke up thinking about sin. I went throughout the day thinking about sin. I laid my head down at night thinking about sin. And you did too. Whether you'll admit it or not. Every one of us did. It, it was a constant life of sin. And this is what John is talking about. Whoever lives a lifestyle like that, they do not have the Father. They are not saved. If they continue in their, in their sinful lifestyle, I just quoted a little while ago from 2 Corinthians that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If we're a new creature, we're not going to continue in the same things that we were doing. We're not going to go to the same places that we went to. We're not going to say the same things that we did. We're probably not going to hang out with the same folks that we used to. Family's a little bit different, and I understand uh, all that. But we're not going to go out to the bars. We're not going to go out to the saloons. We're not going to go to some of the concerts that we may have went to. And we're certainly not going to act the way that we acted. Why? Because we're, we're sons of, and daughters of God. Amen. There's been a change made in us. But John here, when he, when he states this in verse 6, <clears throat> Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Once again, people love to debate this verse and they'll say well if I'm abiding in Christ then I'm not sinning and some people take it even a, a, a step way out in left field somewhere and say but you know throughout the course of the day I don't abide with Jesus for a few seconds here and a few seconds there and that's when I sin folks that's contrary to scripture that's contrary it, when, when God saved me he saved me completely he saved me utterly, and God abides in me. He lives in me. He doesn't move in and move out 50 times throughout the course of the day. He's abiding in me. I feel guilt over some of the things that I think that I didn't used to feel before I got saved, but I still have some thoughts. Some of the things I've said since I've been saved, some of the things that I've done since I've been saved, I feel guilty over them now, but whereas I didn't before. That tells me there's been a change made. That tells me I've grieved the Holy Spirit that lives within me. I've grieved God and I've transgressed against his law. That's why I feel that way. But praise God, we got repentance. Amen. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth not hath not seen him. They don't know him. Just as, just as the previous verse that we read a little while ago, the world doesn't know us because it never knew him. 
And it says here, whosoever sinneth, once again, that's present perfect tense, hath not seen him. They haven't seen him. They don't know him. Neither known him. They have not seen him, neither known him. Anybody that lives a life like that. And that's why, whether I'm standing in the pulpit preaching or I'm standing before someone teaching, that's why I can say anyone that lives a life of constant sin cannot be saved because the Bible says they cannot be saved. It ain't my interpretation of the Bible. It's what the Bible says. They have not seen him, neither known him. They don't know God. John, back in the last chapter, he said they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were never saved to begin with. They might come into the church house for a few months, maybe even a few years. I'm talking about the lady getting saved last night, been in church for a year or so. She wasn't saved. Anybody in that church know it? No. Did she know it? Yeah. God convicted a heart last night. God saved a soul from my understanding. And praise God uh, for that salvation. But the, the people that live a life of constant sin, perpetual sin, it's because they haven't seen him. Neither do they know him. Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to stop right there. We've got about 10 minutes left. I don't want to get into this next section because I won't stop. I'll, 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 preach, I'll get on into the preaching hour. I don't want to do that. <laughs>